everybody. Welcome to episode 30 of The Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. <laughs> and I'm Chris. And, and I'm are... wired on caffeine. <laughs> We're already giggling because Chris <laughs> came in and her hair was like, because <laughs> she's um, had a little bit of coffee today. Yeah, so. coffee. Hello, good morning. <laughs> afternoon. Oh, afternoon. <laughs> and afternoon. it's humid out too, which yeah. is uh, making everyone's hair stand on end. So. Yes. Anyway, it's good to see you, Chris. Um, we have a lot to talk about, so we're just going to dive right in, starting with the fact that this is our 30th episode. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! 30 episodes. And we agreed early on that every 10th episode we were going to do a giveaway. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do an upcoming read-along. Yes, we well, we'll talk about the read-along and the giveaway at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so thank you to everyone who contributed suggestions and voted for books on our Goodreads group or Facebook, Twitter. We had some commentary there as well. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. We had proposed The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, and a lot of people were like, cool with that. Some people said, I read it years ago, would love to reread it. Another title, kind of a dark horse that came from out of nowhere, I think Thomas from... The readers initially proposed it, but uh, Maurice came up um, from Forrester. So a lot of people voted for that. They were neck and neck, The Heart is Lonely Hunter, Maurice, neck and neck, kind of like back and forth. We did a recount. Chris Chris asked me to do a recount today. (laughs) I counted the other day. I counted this morning and asked Emily to recount. And drum roll, who is the winner? It was really close, but Maurice is the winner by one vote, I think. Yeah. So we've decided we're going to do both. We're going to do both titles, yes. (laughs) Not in the same month, though. Nobody panic. Yeah, don't panic. So what we're going to do is we'll start with The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. That'll be our read-along for December. Right. And then in February, we'll do a read-along with Maurice. Yes. Very exciting. Yeah, because that's been on my to-read list for a long time. Maurice. I've always been interested in it, so. That was on my I didn't know it existed list. (laughs) (laughs) But I do now, so I'm excited by it. And so what we're going to do for our 30th episode giveaway is give away a copy of each of those. Yes. To one person. To one person. So you can be a participant in the the two read-alongs with the books in hand. Absolutely. And so all you need to do to enter to win is send us an email to bookcougars at gmail.com, and in the subject line, just say something about the giveaway so we know what the email's about. Right. Say, pick me, or I hope I'm 30, or whatever you want to put. <laughs> yeah, and we'll announce the winner on the next episode and get those to you ASAP so you have enough time to get The Heart is a Lonely Hunter read in time for our December 12th episode. That's when we'll have the discussion about the book so if you could please get us any questions or comments about The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by December 7th. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great because we'll be recording on December 12th. And I guess oh, no, now... no, sorry, December 8th. 8th, right. Yeah. The episode will go live the 12th. And I guess now to get comments to us too, you can use our Goodreads. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll do a like a comments thing thread on that or something like that. And then also Facebook, Twitter. What else? Straight email. Straight email. Send out a carrier pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like people discuss more on Goodreads right now, although we do have some good discussions still happening on the Facebook page as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It seems discussions on Twitter get confusing for me, but maybe that's just because I'm still kind of a Twitter novice. Yeah, it could be challenging on Twitter. 
But people, feel free to do whatever you want because Chris is our social media maven and she knows how to do it all. <laughs> and she does it really well, I might add. So That's why they pay me the big bucks. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So right. exciting. We've got our next two read-alongs lined up. We've got our giveaway. Um, do As soon as you listen to the episode, if you're interested in the giveaway, do send that email because we, we got quite a few for our last one. So Yeah. Um, and let me just say, too, the contest is open internationally, not just for U.S. listeners. So if you are around the world, please enter. Yes. We would love to send it internationally. That would yeah. be so fun. Yeah. Totally. So you had a couple things you wanted to cover before we dive into what we've read. Yeah, I just wanted to give an update. I know in a past episode we talked about going to the Guilford Free Library book sale. That's our local library here in Connecticut. And I thought I would just let everyone know that they raised $51,338 at that book sale. So um, my first thought was like, yay, library. But then my second thought was like, well, yay, community. Yeah. Because that was all community donations of books that help raise money yeah. through the friends of the library. So I, I think that's a big chunk of change for that's a library fantastic. sale. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm kind of curious uh, deeper in how they use it in the budget, what they do with the money and mm-hmm. things like that. That'd be really cool to know. Because I know Guilford Library, the Friends of the Library is very active. So I wonder if they purchase furniture for the library and stuff like that or mm. books. Interesting. You know? That would be good to know. know. Yeah. We should interview somebody from the library. Yeah, that would be fun. Talk about that kind of stuff, because I know a lot of listeners are into library yeah. background stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, some library budgets, we know the Connecticut library budgets are tight right now. Yeah. And the friends of those nonprofit little friends of organizations associated with the libraries do a lot for them, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. it would be, it'd be cool to know. That's a lot of money. That's Good for them. And the other thing I wanted to just mention is the 2017 Connecticut Book Award finalists have been announced. And this is through the Connecticut Center for the Book. And I think most states have a Center for the Book. That's who sponsored the, the Cather, or the Cather Foundation was in partnership with the New York Center for the Book at Governor's Island that, right. that I went to a couple of months ago. So the Connecticut Center for the Book had kind of, I think, been on hiatus a little bit, or at least this award had been. This is the first time since 2011 that they're doing it. Mm. So there there are, I think, there's five finalists in fiction, three in nonfiction, four in poetry, and then five for young readers. And those, when the winner will be announced on October 22nd. And is there a winner in each category, do you know? I believe so. Okay. Cool. We should look and see if there's an event that where they do the, you know. There is an event. Yeah, oh. October 22nd. It's at the uh, the Mark Twain House. Oh, how fun. From 2 to 4 p.m. that day, they are having the award ceremony. And it's $30 per person at this mm-hmm. point to go. It was a little, I think, $20, $25 earlier before the, the cutout date for early registration. So if you want to check that out, it's the uh, it's ctcenterforthebook.org, and we'll obviously put that link in the show notes as well for those of you in Connecticut who would like to attend or those of you who are interested in award lists. Yeah, and all and in the show notes, I'll also just I'll list all the books probably too. Yeah, so. well, yeah, because just um, Wally Lamb is one of the finalists for fiction. I'll, for his book, I'll Take You There. Chris Knopf for Backlash. He's a mystery writer. Or he's known, I think, mainly as a mystery writer. I like his author photograph because he's there with his dog, which, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another book, Eric D. Lehman, Shadows of Paris, 
Robert H. Patton, Cajun Waltz, and then Susan Harris Rashid, or Rashid for Beneath a Shooting Star. Hmm. So Those are all the fiction. Those are the fiction. Very so. cool. And we're just apparently going to blow off the other ones. And well, you can read them if you want. What would no, you like okay. to do? No, okay. Go to the link on uh, the show notes. Is that dismissive of these? No, Connecticut writers? not at all. Okay, not at all. No, we'll put it in the show notes. We gave you a taste of the fiction. So. Yeah. And then I had one other quick thing to talk about as well, which is um, I'm a huge fan of the Literary Disco podcast, which is a group of three people who met up at Bennington when they were getting their MFAs. Todd Goldberg, Ryder Strong, and Julia Pastel, who lives in Connecticut in Hartford, and I have contemplated the idea of trying to stalk her because <laughs> I think she's really funny and interesting, and I haven't haven't carried through on that yet. But um, so they do a podcast that it's been a little hit or miss about how frequently they do it, but they've kind of been back on track lately. And a couple months ago, they put out a request on their Facebook page. Of, of poets that they should know about because they were going to do a poetry episode. And I completely forgot that I right away got on that and recommended one of my favorite poets, Naomi Nihab Shai. I think that's her name. I hope that's her name. And um, my favorite poem of hers is called Kindness, which I think I've put on our Facebook page. I'll put it in the show notes because it, to me, is a poem that changed my life. And there are times when I read it that just help me get through yet another Difficult paths or something like that. But um, to my surprise, I was taking a walk the other day and listening to episode 112. And they're like, listener, Emily Fine suggested the poem, blah, blah, blah. And it was really exciting for me. I felt like, you know, I got kind of hot and bothered. (laughs) Um, But what they decided to do was a two-part episode. So episode 112 and 113 cover poetry. And they cover three poets in each, which is just a reasonable amount. Um... They're not kind to some of them. Um, And then the second episode, episode 113, is all spoken word poetry. So that's kind of interesting. So they actually play the poets reading their piece and then talk about it. So so if you're a poetry lover or you're just looking for another literary podcast, I will warn you, you know, they're friends. So like Chris and I, they get off on little tangents. And they also use foul language, which I'm not opposed to. But if you are opposed to that, you know, a little warning in advance. I think they're hilarious, and um, they don't always talk about a lot of books, which is one complaint I've heard from some of my fellow hmm. you know, podcast listeners, but I just yeah. enjoy their relationship, and I think when they do get into talking about a book, it's really, they, they, they all have come at it from different angles, and they're really interesting. Yeah. So. Well, and I like the game that they play occasionally Thanks. on the, like they, they say, you know, shelf number whatever, book number whatever, what book is that? And then they talk about the book. Yeah, they each go, they take break and they go to their bookshelf and grab that book. They haven't been doing that lately. Those are their, if you go to their earlier episodes, they do have different games. Mm -hmm. And then they they play games with each other, like where Todd will read passages um, of books and people, they try to guess what the book is. They don't do that stuff quite as much anymore. At least they haven't been. That kind of stuff. And the thing is too, like if you're into a podcast and, and people do go off, on a tangent, I, I'm willing to stick with them yeah. once, you know, you like them and everything. Yeah. But if you, I, I think it's like anything, like if you land on an episode that you don't particularly like, give, 
another episode, you know, try two other episodes. Right. And before you completely say no to a podcast, yeah. I, I found that that is a good rule of thumb for myself anyway. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah stick with us, people. <laughs> Don't leave us. Well, the thing with Julia Pistel, like, I, my claim to fame with her is that I saw her fall off a stage. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. At a, at a conference. That's right. Yeah. She was fine. She recovered so amazingly well. <laughs> Yeah, because she does a lot of improv stuff. Yeah, so, they have man, an improv she, company yeah, up in She just her rolled firm. with it, and yeah. it was great. Yeah. 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 She talks about it on one of the episodes. Yeah, I can't does. remember. So anyway, I will put the link to those um, episodes in our show notes as well. So Very cool. Should we talk about what we just read? Absolutely. All right. Yeah. You want to go I'll, first? Sure, I'll start. And since you already talked about foul language, um, I'm going to talk about a book I just read called And Fire Came Down by Emma Visick. I mentioned her last time as the book I was reading, I mm-hmm. think, or I was going to, I don't remember. But she's an Australian mystery writer whose first book I really loved, uh, it was Resurrection Bay. And the second book in the series, it's a Caleb Zellick thriller. He's a deaf oh, right. investigator. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Emma is a classic potty mouth. But, like, she knows how to swear in real mm-hmm. life, so her characters know how to swear appropriately right in the book. Yeah. Because one of the things that annoys me about reading a book is when there is foul language that is obviously not something the author is familiar with. Mm. And yeah. it's just, it's like, oh. yeah. But anyway, Emma knows how to swear, and her characters swear. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really enjoyed the book. Another great entry. And I thought I would just share, you know, okay, let me back up. So... Uh, Caleb Zellick, he's the, the main character. He's a white guy. And his wife, who he is estranged from, is an Aboriginal woman. Yeah. So there's that, the, that tension. Um, it's a very tight community that she comes from. And so he's kind of always been a bit of an outsider. But has been accepted to some extent. You know, but there's different levels of acceptance. Yeah. So there's a lot of that tension within the book. And there's uh, a lot of racial tension mm. in this book, uh, you know, similar to what African-Americans and folks of other race experience here in the United States with, you know, police, white police harassing people of color um, happens there as well. And then from the, the other book I read, um, Too Afraid to Cry. I can't remember the author's name, and that's horrible. Ugh. That's okay. Keep talking. Okay. It'll come back to me. Yeah. Um, but she, that book, Too Afraid to Cry, had talked about the lost generation, the uh, Aboriginal kids who had been taken from their families and, oh, right. and adopted yeah. out to yeah. white people in an effort of assimilation. That was Allie Cobby Eckerman. Eckerman. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you for looking that up. Yep. And so I just thought I'd read a little bit. This is a scene where Caleb is talking to one of the aunties. One of the, the women who, an older woman who is a, a leader in the community. So this is Caleb starting the dialogue. It's not just teenagers mucking about. Not anymore. Someone's targeting your mob. No prizes for working that one out, love. She turned her sewing over, and he realized that it was a doll, blank-faced and limp, the size of a newborn baby. He dragged his eyes from it. Do you know what's behind all the violence? Tara fucking nullis, love. She pushed the needle into the doll's dark scalp and yanked it out. Gubbas can't stand us black fellas, we're here first. He chose his words carefully. Some of us can. 
She stabbed the needle into the doll. You want a round of applause? Bring me back my kids. Bring me back my aunties and my uncles, my grandsons. I'll give you a standing fucking ovation. Another stab of the needle. Mm. I just think like that little scene is so powerful. Yeah. Just with the representation of the doll that she's working on and mm-hmm. what happened to all those babies. And yeah. uh, so it, it's really Did awesome. it surprise you that there was that thread in the book of the Aboriginal? No, I well, okay. no, because it was in the first book as well. Okay. But now, you know, with all of the racial tension that has been highlighted in our country mm-hmm. um it, it hit me a lot yeah a lot harder and just that this is not just a problem in the united states mm-hmm. it's a problem around the world obviously i know you know in germany there's been problems with um muslim populations there same in france yeah and, yeah, yeah um yeah, so it didn't surprise me, but it, yeah, it just hit me a bit harder. And then also now knowing more about the lost generation and that part of Australian history. And Having just read that memoir. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. when she says Terra fucking nullis, uh, Terra nullis, I, I looked it up, and that goes back to Captain Cook when he first landed in Australia in 1770. I guess there were three categories of what the British could claim. And if a pop, if there wasn't a population in, in a land that they quote discovered, they thought that they could just take it, or that they there the second category was they could talk with the population that's there and ask if they could use some of their land. Well, can we just push you to the side? And Captain yeah. Cook, yeah, that's what exactly happened in yeah. Australia. They knew there were people yeah. there and they still took it. Yeah. Um. So that Terra Nullis goes back to that. So a really great book. I mean, there's a lot of subtle things about race as well. Uh, there are some really fascinating things, too. I think I mentioned that Caleb is deaf. Mm-hmm. And so in the first book, I remember there being some things about challenges when he can't read lips. And in this one, there were some really just interesting and a funny scene, too, about talking with a woman who'd had a shitload of Botox <laughs> in her life. And he says, quote, it was like trying to read a duck. <laughs> Trying to read the their lips. And then another point he makes is that uh, it's hard to lip read when somebody has a beard. Oh, of course. Which, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 It's so, hard to do a lot of things with someone who has a beard. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, TMI. Yeah, or not. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Little tangent so, there. Anyway, that's And Fire Came Down by Emma Visick. Really good thriller. Like the storyline is really great and interesting too. But then you learn a lot about Australian culture as well. I have one other question. Would would you highly recommend people start with the first one? Or do you think this would be fine to just jump in on the second? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Because that's what I was thinking about when I was reading it. I'm more aware of that now mm-hmm. as somebody who recommends books. But I, I think you could start with this one. Okay. But yeah. Resurrection Bay is so good okay. that I think, like, get both of them. Yeah. There is, we're only two in, so just go ahead and start yeah. at the beginning. And I got yeah. them both from the book depository. Okay. It's free shipping. And, um, yeah. I mean, in the, the last... Last time I ordered Resurrection Bay, I had a hard time, and then with this one, I had a hard time too. Hmm. I put the order in, but and got it got canceled. Hmm. But then I reordered it after a couple weeks, and it came. So I think it's just because it's a new release. Yeah. And I know sometimes there's just fulfillment issues with different sites. Yeah. So BookDepository.com, or go to your local indie and see if they can yeah. order it for you. Yep, that's always a good move. Yep. You can also order from Indies. I recommend doing yeah. that too. And a lot of them have now have like the 99 cent shipping and stuff. Mm-hmm. So 
So I just finished um, The Last Chinese Chef by Nicole Moniz. Moniz? Moniz? Um, and I really enjoyed it. It was a book, I think I talked about it a little bit in the last episode. It's a woman who's a, a culinary food writer, and she her, is a widow at, at an early young age. Her husband dies very unexpectedly, tragically, and she's kind of, the book opens and she's mourning the loss of her husband, and then, lo and behold, there's an interesting paternity suit that is issued because he used to travel a lot in China, and supposedly there is a child that was born to him there. So she's spun into a whole little spiral and is about to take a trip to China when her editor, she's going to take time off from work, and her editor says, well, you know, there's a new chef there that's actually a Chinese-American chef that's relocated back to his homeland of China. And... Um, or I should say his heritage of China. He was born and raised, I believe, in America, has a Jewish mother and a Chinese father. And um, would you be willing to interview him because he's opening a new restaurant? So that creates a whole other storyline and a story arc. And there's a little bit of a love story, but what there's a lot of is Chinese food. And I just, the whole time I was reading it, I was starving for really good <laughs> Chinese food. And I started asking everyone around here, like, is there anywhere that, where there's traditional, really good Chinese food? And the place that keeps getting recommended is the place that you and I ate with Jennifer, our mutual friend Jennifer, oh, yeah. in downtown New Haven. Taste of China? Yeah, I which think it is. I think it's something like that. And yeah. they also have an outlet in Clinton. So maybe you oh, and I, I can cool. grab you and we can go in there Clinton, sometime. Really? Yeah. Okay. Did anybody mention the Ivy Walk? No. No, that's the place where we go for yeah. the dumplings that we like. Yeah. Oh, I don't think that's classic Chinese, though. But I could be wrong. Probably, but anyway, yeah. okay, I'll okay. stop talking about food. Oh, food. Now but I'm anyway, hungry. <laughs> okay. I was so hungry the entire time I read it. And he, it's an interesting, there's like this little cooking competition that's taking place that he's competing in. And then I think I mentioned that there's all this talk about recipes and healing. Mm -hmm. And then there's also, he's got his own things going on with his family. And he comes from a line of chefs. Mm -hmm. So his uncles help him in the competition and stuff. So oh. it's a really light, fast read. I really enjoyed it. And if you like reading about food and Chinese culture, mm -hmm. um, the author in real life was a culinary food writer for Gourmet, and she traveled a lot to China in her pr prior career. I want to say she bought um, fabrics from China or something mm. like that. So she traveled quite a bit to China. So she really does write from a knowledgeable place, you know, about yeah. both the food and the culture and um, language and all of that kind of stuff. So cool. um, I highly recommend it. The Last Chinese Chef by yeah. Nicole Moniz. Well, I didn't read any other books. Um, oh. We had a friend in town. Oh, right. Not that I'm blaming her, but I just didn't. <laughs> we had a great time. I just didn't read as much as usual, obviously, because we were out gallivanting. Okay, well, I yeah. did. So All right. Um, the next book I read came to me from our mutual friend, Russell. From Ink and Paper blog, um, he went to see her, the author, and sent me a copy of The Child Finder by Renee Denfeld. Um, we read Renee Denfeld's book. Russell and I are in a book club, a virtual book club together, and we read her other book, The Enchanted, um, and so we are huge fans of her. The Child Finder was fantastic, and it's about a woman who has kind of... Um, a, a difficult past where she ended up in foster care mm. and there's a little bit of a um, mysterious tragedy that where she was found and kind of delivered to this police station as a young child and then ended up in foster care 
And as an adult now, her job is to go out and find lost children who have been abducted. And so that's why she's called the child finder. And at the same time where she's now kind of literally on the hunt for this missing child, she's actually looking for two missing children throughout the course of the book. She's also have, she has a lot, lot of nightmares and is kind of finishing out the story of her mysterious past. And so there's a, a really interesting story arc that's bringing it all together. Cool. But what Renee Dunfeld does really well, because The Enchanted was about death row inmates, what she does really well is to help the reader understand that as much as we want to blame perpetrators, there are lots of times, or there's lots of story behind the perpetrators' lives and their own tragedies and violent mm-hmm. life backgrounds that you know, creates what we consider to be like a devil or a horrible person, but a lot of them are incredibly damaged people as well. That's a family tradition. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Renee Denfeld herself personally, I guess she has written quite a bit about her own background of domestic violence and and I've never read anything about her, but you can certainly, by reading the two novels that I have, see that she understands the situation. She understands foster care. She Mm -hmm. herself has fostered kids for over 20 years and has adopted three children through foster care as well. Um, And I believe her day job is um, as an investigator for death row inmates or something like that. So she just has a lot of experience in an area, a field that I don't. And she's an incredible writer. Again, someone who writes kind of lawyerly type of work in her day Mm -hmm. job. It doesn't surprise me that I enjoy her fiction writing yeah it's a nice cover too yeah it's a beautiful cover it's not um easy subject matter at all but it was a complete page turner i highly recommend it i highly recommend that you read the enchanted as well um so that's the child finder by renee denfeld and then the other book that i just finished was sing unburied sing by jesmyn ward this was a book that i picked up at um book expo and have been meaning and meaning and meaning to read. Um, Jasmine Ward won the, the Pulitzer? I don't know. She's up for the, that book is up for the National this, Book Award this This book year, is up for the National Book Award. I believe that her book, um, Salvage the Bones, won the Pulitzer Prize. Hmm. Um, she also has a memoir called The Men We Reaped. And um, she, on Friday, was announced as the um, winner of a MacArthur Genius Grant. Oh, good for her. So she just won $625,000. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really proud of her because <laughs> I think she's an amazing writer. She's also a professor at Tulane. Did yeah. you find Yeah, something? Savage the Bone, it won the National Book Award. Oh, National yeah. Book Award, okay. In 2011. Okay, yeah. not the Pulitzer, I apologize. But it is up, Sing Unburied Sing is also up for, it's a finalist for National Book Award. It's so awesome. not bad. Not two bad novels, yeah. two potential National Book Awards. Um, Sing Unburied Sing takes us back to the location of Salvage the Bones, but a completely different group of characters. Mm-hmm. And it's about, um, it, it's told from the point of view of a couple different people, um, a mother and a son, and then also from the point of view of a couple ghosts. Interesting. Kind of in a, the George Saunders Lincoln in the Bardo. Don't get scared. People who hated that book, and there are many of them. There are also just as many who loved it. It is not like 106 ghosts or something like okay. the George Saunders books. There's just two of them. And it's a difficult book in that it's about um, 
a mother who's a white, a black woman who um, fathered two children with a white man who comes from a very racist family. Mm-hmm. And um, she has her challenges in her life and she's not very interested in mothering. And so the kids are being largely raised at their living at their grandparents' home, but also the 13-year-old boy is pretty much in charge of his three-year-old sister. Mm-hmm. And they go on a little road trip adventure to get their dad out of jail. He's being released from prison. And it's one of those books that as you're reading it, I mean, especially as a mother, it is so difficult for me to read a book when the kids are starving and, you know, the parents seemingly aren't interested in handling that problem. And, you know, you just see them making one misstep after the other. And um, it was such a challenge to read it. But on the other hand, Jasmine Ward has a way of describing scenes and situations that stay with you forever and I am not someone who remembers a book that I read Mm -hmm. I close the book I put it away (laughs) and then if someone asks me what it was about I have to open up Goodreads and we're like and then I'm reminded you know but I can't necessarily bring it up but there's a scene in her other book Salvage the Bones which was um about the time of Hurricane Katrina where these people are stuck in their attic during the hurricane that is so just palpable when you're reading it you feel like you're there that I will never forget it and there were scenes like that in this book Sing Unburied Sing where you just feel like you are right there in it with the characters and she does it with very few pages I mean it's it's under 300 page book and when is that one set this one is set in current day current day yeah yeah so um if you want to read incredible writing I highly recommend you pick up a Jasmine Ward book. Awesome. See Emily smile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, you know, what's shocking to me is I was so excited when I got this book at Book Expo. When was that? May? Yeah, May, June. I yeah, think, yeah. And I'm just now picking it up, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's been like on my desk, yeah. you know, since I got it. But, um, so anyway, Sing Unburied Sing, Jasmine Ward. We have a helicopter going overhead. Sorry, yeah. you guys. It's probably the... Coast Guard doing something. Oh, see, whenever I see a yeah. helicopter, I'm like, it's the CEO of Google coming yeah. back from Cape Cod. No, that was a military <laughs> oh, was helicopter. It? Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. It wasn't the Coast Guard, though. Anyway. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, well, maybe it, you read it now because you had the time to sit and read because you were so busy yeah. in the spring and That's summer true. that, you know, yeah. you're... That's true, and my gentleman caller needed me to help him with something on Friday that required me to end up sitting on the couch all day, so I literally sat with this book, and I don't give myself a day to read anymore, Mm -hmm. and I really just dug into it, and when I closed it and said, oh my God, that book was great, he was like, you just read that whole book, (laughs) you couldn't believe it, but um, it's like, give me some, you know, unstructured time, yeah. or not unstructured, uninterrupted. Uh, yeah. Is that the right word? Yeah. Uninterrupted. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I can get busy yeah. with a book, oh, so yeah, nice. it was That's great. That's great. Yeah. Currently reading? Yeah. Well, I'm still reading Death Comes. That's the new Willa Cather Edith Lewis mystery by Sue Halgrath. I haven't had much reading time uh, so that is still happening. And then I'm also reading a, a book, a review copy I got from the Naval Institute Press that I requested called The Leader's Bookshelf. And it's written by Admiral James Stavridis. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He retired from the Navy. And then R. Manning Ansel. And it's 
a really awesome book. I, I'm in the midst of it. I'll talk more about it on the next episode after I finish it. But really, it's talking about, well, it has 50 books, 50 the top military theme type books. Oh, cool. Not even military themed, because there are some big surprises in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but the books that are really highly recommended by leaders for leaders, people who are oh, wanting to improve fantastic. their leadership skills. So, and it talks about creating your own library, the importance of reading. It's it's really an engaging read right now. I can't wait to have more time to just sit down with it. I love the cover. It's a cool cover, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And, and I know I've seen a picture. It's a picture of a library, and it doesn't... Oh, yeah, the George Peabody Library is where that is. Mm, isn't that really awesome? Cool. Yeah. Is that in Maryland? I'm going to say yes. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, we need to go. Yeah, that's not trip. far. Yeah, it's not I even have someone we could stay with there. Yeah, and I have a friend I want to visit in Annapolis. Oh, there you go. So oh, cool. I can't wait so, to hear more Yeah, about so really, the Leader's Bookshelf, it just came out this spring, I think. Well, I'm reading another book expo book called Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. And this is a woman that was there. I don't know if you were with me. I don't think I I feel like you were, but she signed my book. She did a really cool signature in my book. Is that the one that Russell asked you to get? No. No, okay. It's Grey Wolf Press. It's a little press. And I remember she was just sitting in this little chair, like, surrounded by stacks of her books and everyone else's books. And I was like, sure, I'll take a copy. And Mm. she's been nominated for a National Book Award. She's a finalist. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's also won... What did it win? Can I see it won the, cover? The, the Indie Next Pick for October mm-hmm. 2017. That's not a win. That's just a thing. But it was mm-hmm. the winner of the Bard Fiction Prize, I think. In the in the Kirkus, she's also a finalist for the Kirkus Prize. Cool. It's a book of short stories. I'm going to call one of our friends out right now and say, Jana, go get this book. Um, <laughs> Russell just finished it and loved it. Um, the first, I just have read the first story, and it was. Um, Crazy. Actually, I read the first two. Crazy, unusual, mm. kind of traumatic and difficult. It's about women um, in their bodies and their lives. I'm just going to give you an idea. This gives you a little insight. Whenever I read the quotes at the beginning of a book, I'm kind of like, hmm, I think I know what's in store. So one of the quotes is, God should have made girls lethal when he made monsters of men. Awesome. Elizabeth Hewer. That's very cool. So that gives you a little insight. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good. She writes really well. She also, um, it's kind of, they're short and sweet stories. So the, the book is just over a couple hundred pages. Um, if you're a short story reader, I highly recommend that you get this. It's getting a lot of buzz right now. A lot of buzz. And that's kind of different for a short story collection, isn't it? They don't it usually is. get such high praise. Some people like George, people like George Saunders do. You know, I mean, I think his book of short stories, 10th of December, was one of the New York Times 10 books of the year, mm-hmm. the year it came out. You know, so it yeah. depends. But um, I don't think a short story writer like this often gets... Yeah. so much buzz yeah you know mm-hmm. so um her body and other parties stories by carmen maria Machado. i have no idea if i'm pronouncing her name correctly and i'm currently oh. reading one other do you have oh, no um i am reading i think i've mentioned this before the book peregrine island which was a book that yeah the, i remember that title yeah the um the publicist of this author reached out to us and asked if we would have her on the podcast and our policy is pretty much not to 
talk to an author unless we've read them. So I said, well, send me a copy of the book. And it's um, by Diane B. Saxton. And it's um, kind of a faux made-up island off the coast of Connecticut, which is kind of fun. So the very first paragraph, I read it out loud to Jim because it's all about, you know, Long Island Sound and, you know, that kind of thing. So he, he was like, oh, that's really cool. I mean, it's just fun to think about, like, we've put our kayaks in that body of water they're talking yeah, about, you know. Very cool. So I'm only 20 pages in, and um, hopefully I'll stick with it. And if so, you guys will hear more about it on the next episode. adventures yeah i had one that i forgot about and then i didn't go to oh no because our out-of-town guests okay. um but i had i signed up to go see nelson demille oh, uh, the mystery right. thriller writer he was going to be at the casinos yeah. but it was the same day as our friend being in town and then also another friend was doing a fundraiser at a cemetery um and in a local town and i wanted to go see that so conflicts and yeah. sorry nelson demille you, you i'm sure he had no fans time. there <laughs> uh, I, wanna, I haven't read a lot i've only read one of his books the general's daughter which they made into a movie okay. i think with john travolta i could oh, be wow. wrong i'm not sure so i have read him before like you? years ago okay. and i loved his, i mean they're page turners yeah. yeah yeah i heard like the lion's gate i think is one of his most well-known books or considered okay. one of his best ones and there was a sequel that came out not too long ago too so yeah yeah so that was a the biblio adventure that did not happen <laughs> <laughs> but i did go to another one but so did you didn't you did you go to see that? no i have two coming up that oh, i'll talk okay. about yeah well i also went to see well i didn't also i did go to see um aaron uh, mankey who is known for the podcast lore he started that podcast two and a half years ago. I just started listening to it a couple days ago, pretty much. Like, my uh, cousin Alicia had recommended it to me because he talks about vampires and scary things and historical stories that are a little on the creepy side, and she thought I'd like it. And then also I, my friend Jason, who we were on vacation with earlier this year, had mentioned it to me, too. Oh, okay. So, you know, I'm I'm a little slow on the uptake sometimes. But I'm loving the podcast. I He has a great voice for it. And he's coming out now with books. So there's going to be three books, one released every six months based on the podcast. Oh, fun. Yeah, so, uh, and it's lore. It's called, I think, The World of Lore. What does that mean? So what's lore, the podcast about? Lore is about folklore. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he talks about say, vampires and the whole tradition of vampires in every culture and kind of speculating on why different monsters or different scary stories come to be to help explain the world. He's interested in how stories help us live. Oh, I like that. You know, and yeah. one, of the things he's, one of the things he said is that having mystery in your life helps kind of ground you in your life. And that we all need more shadows in our life mm. for the mystery of life. So that's really interesting. Like, he, he's another one who found his love of, love of reading because of Scholastic Catalogs. Oh, yeah. He got that Scholastic Catalog one day, and there was a book in there about, you know, like, just true weird tales. And he asked his parents if he could get it, and they're like, sure. And, you know, he loved the book. And that just kind of set him off on reading that kind of stuff. And then... And when he was in fifth grade, a teacher gave a writing assignment 
to write a short story. So he wrote some weird little story, and he's been writing ever since. And he's written novels. And the idea behind Lore, which is really interesting, there were some hardcore fans there, too, let me just say. This is at the (laughs) Yale Bookstore. Okay. And I got there, you know, maybe 20 minutes beforehand, and there were two women sitting there. And the, the guy, the manager of the store, he's like, oh, you know, Let's hope, hope, here's hoping more people show up, and they did. Okay. Like he had a really a decent turnout. And initially, the idea for the podcast started as a PDF that he was going to write about five stories that he had written to kind of give out as like a freebie type thing. And then it got to be too big, and one of his friends said, you know, this should really be a podcast. Mm. And he said to his friend, he's like, you know, okay, back then, just a couple years ago, podcasts were like, basically two white guys talking about iPhone updates. Right. You know, <laughs> they weren't like what they are today. And Anne and Michael talking <laughs> yeah. about books. Right, right. exactly, right? <laughs> um, so, so they laughed and he did it. And the first, you know, one was awful. Um, but he's really, I love his voice and he mm-hmm. has really wonderful pacing. And actually this, his podcast is so popular. He has had 91 million downloads. Oh my god. He has nine downloads per minute. That's insane. Yeah. That's that is a popular podcast. Mm. Uh so what else can I say? Oh, this is interesting. He he was talking about different episodes, and there was an ep- episode called Half Hanged, which is about a woman who was hung hanged. Is it hanged as a witch? Hung as a witch? Okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mary Webster was her name. One of her this woman's descendants is Margaret Atwood, oh, wow. who also wrote a poem about her. So I'm going to look into that. I meant to yeah. look into that beforehand, uh, but I failed to. But it was interesting. Like, it was a great talk. And I should add, too, like, there's a TV series now that just started. It's not a TV series. It's an Amazon original series. Okay. That dates me when I say TV series, doesn't it? So <laughs> Television series. On my black and white television with a knob. I know, right? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So it was really one of the cool things he said was that in Germany and France, werewolf stories are more popular and that witches are more of a British-American thing. Oh. And and he didn't cite any sources or anything for this, but he he said that they, they, whoever they are, think that more people may have been killed in Germany and France out of fear that they were werewolves, then witches were killed in America and England out of fear of being witches. So that's something I made a note to look into. So do you mean the lore is now an Amazon original series? Yeah, it's called lore. It's the the podcast. So they're taking the podcast episodes and then creating TV, oh, a TV wow. episode, a TV episode. I keep saying uh, that. Amazon creating an original. Amazon and original Prime, Prime episode. Yeah. And, and it's done by the people who produce Walking Dead. Oh, wow. It was, it's filmed in Georgia. Because I asked, like, if, it was, if, he go, if some of these were filmed on location, because a lot of his stories are New England legends, oh. which is fun. Yeah. And it's really fun this time of year, too, to listen to that type of stuff. So, like, one of the episodes was about a train wreck that happened and in the, eight, in, you know, late 19th century and what people still feel there at that location. Mm-hmm. So I'd ask, I said, you know, are some of these going to be filmed on location or mm-hmm. does he visit locations? And he said he's been to some places, but not not all of them. 
And that then that's when he started talking about it being filmed in Georgia in a 19th century house that had had virtually no renovation that somebody had just purchased. And they, whoever the scouts were, said, oh, my God, can we please use this house to film in before you do the renovation? Because it's perfect. Because it mm. still looks decent, mm-hmm. but it, it looks 19th century, right. you know, but it's not dilapidated and run down. Right. It's in pretty good shape. Hmm. So I watched the first episode, and I don't know how how well that's going to do. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't translate, yeah. maybe? I, I don't know. And it could just be my taste, because mm-hmm. a part of it's animated. There's some really cool uh, animation. Huh. And in the book, too, the, the, the illustrations in the book are fantastic. Huh. Really kind of like uh, gory-type things, but gory, the artist. You know, Albert Gory. Is okay. that his first name, Albert Gory? Not gory like gross. Yeah, not gory okay. like gross. Not at all. Okay. And, like, his stories of the episodes I've watched aren't gory either. But they're kind of, it kind of seems appropriate in October to be listening Absolutely. to something called lore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. So, now you could do the book, the podcast, the Amazon awesome. series. Cool. Uh, but I really, I enjoyed his talk. And and it sounds like he's going to be doing lore, the podcast, for quite a while. Because he said right now he has content up to 2020. Oh, that's great. Enough to fill that. So So I will um, put that in the show notes, too, a link to that podcast as well. Yeah. So, great. Yeah, neat podcast. So thanks to Alicia and Jason for recommending that to me. Yeah. And I had a couple um, Biblio adventures that were just library adventures. Mm-hmm. I'm working on a big project right now, so I've been spending some time in libraries, and I went to the West Hartford Library. Um, the Noah P. Webster Library is what it's called, and Noah Webster is of Webster Dictionary fame. Mm-hmm. He's um, there is a Noah Webster house which Chris and I have in the pipeline as an upcoming jaunt as well. Yeah. He's considered the father of American scholarship and education, and I don't know much more else about him, but we will fill you in after we go visit his house. But um, it's a beautiful library. It's classic New England library where the front of it is the old original library and then the back is all modern and Mm -hmm. new, you know. And um, I'm really enjoying... It's very light-filled and high ceilings, so I've been working there quite often because West Hartford happens to be where my gentleman caller lives. (laughs) So um, it encourages me to work and also visit. So, And then also, um, he, Jim, took me to the Glastonbury Library yesterday and showed me around. And it's a nice library. It's a little bit um, shorter ceiling. It, too, has the old and the new, you Mm -hmm. know. But they have these really cool cubicles that would be fun to work in because cubicles in college, I loved them. You know, the straight, you kind of put all your candy bars in there and your coffee and, you know, just plugged in for the day. But now I find them to be a little bit too confining and partly because I, you know, work on this big honking laptop and there's just never enough space, I feel like. But these were kind of like cubicles with angled sides, which was kind of cool. And they they had them all over the library. So Mm -hmm. I think it'd be fun to go work there someday and experience that so so those were my exciting adventures I've been very busy on this project and most of my time (laughs) has been spent at libraries including back at the Sterling Library Mm -hmm. which was I went to last week and missed my cougar buddy because you and I frequently do that together totally yeah I I took Chris there our friend who was visiting from out of town we went to Yale and went to the Sterling Mm -hmm. Um, and then one day we went uh, Laura was had uh, rehearsals and stuff so Chris and I drove around we went to 
R.J. Julian Madison, mm-hmm. and then up to R.J. Julian Middletown. Oh, nice. And showed her both of those because she's heard so much about yeah. them. So you got some so, book- bookstore time. Yeah, that's that great. Was fun. And then I did a big sell back to the book barn. Oh, yesterday. good for you. Yeah, that was fun. You said you were doing a big call of your library. Yeah, I did a big call. I had Well, I had two boxes and a bag of books. Perfect. So, good. Yeah. Now we can go on a buying spree. <laughs> <laughs> So what have you got on upcoming jaunts? Upcoming jaunts? Well, I definitely have the Noah Webster House on my list. Um, there are two events that I, I'd like to go to. One of them is tomorrow, the 16th. So listeners, if you know, this will be a, a past already. But it's The Last Castle. Denise Kiernan wrote that book. It's about the Biltmore House in uh, North Carolina. Keep talking. I'm going to look at it. Oh, gosh, really? You want to yeah. have it? It's near Asheville. She wrote, no, I have the Girls of Atomic City. Yeah, she wrote that one, too. Yeah, awesome. She's fantastic. She was at the Asheville Booktopia. She's very interesting. You will enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I love the Biltmore House. My parents took me there when I was a kid, and then I went again as an adult because I used to live in North Carolina, so I'm... I love the house, and I'd love to hear yeah. more about it. So that's she's going to be at uh, R.J. Julia tomorrow night, and I don't know if I can make it. Mm. A lot is hanging in the air um, tomorrow, so we'll see. And then also, and this isn't until next month, I have 1024 written down. Well, that's this month. This, this month. It's October. <laughs> <laughs> We're in October, Chris. Never mind. <laughs> Anyway, so, okay, so the 24th is not that far away. Today's the 15th. Um, The book is called Religious Freedom, the Contested History of an American Ideal, and that's by Tisa Wenger, and she's a professor at Yale, and this is her new book that's coming out. The the event is at the Yale Bookstore on the 24th at 6 p.m., and I thought I'd check that out because just the description itself, it, you know, talks about how Religious freedom, now we think about it as this great American ideal, but it was something that's always been, every generation is hammering away at it to strengthen it and weaken it, and what does it mean? And for the longest time, it helped entrench the rights of white Protestant Americans. Mm, And now, of course, religious freedom takes on a lot of different meanings after right. 9-11. Sure. So yeah. I, I, I oh, think, I, I'm not sure if I'll read the book, but I definitely want to go to the talk. Excellent. Yeah. What you got going on? I've got this Tuesday, um, the 17th at RJ, it's in Madison, Gabrielle Zevin, who was the author of The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery, which was a book mm-hmm. I loved. Mm-hmm. And she's coming, she's come out with a new book called Young Jane Young. And then on the 19th, which I was hoping you could go with me, but you can't make it, um, Anna Quinlan is coming to town. Right, yeah. West Hartford does a West Hartford Reads. It's kind of one of those one read, you know, for an entire community. And they chose Anna Quinlan as their author, which is a great pick because she's a fantastic nonfiction and fiction writer. And I have had the opportunity to hear her speak mm-hmm several times actually this I think might be my third time oh, wow. she's very political she's very thought-provoking she's incredibly brilliant and so I'm really looking forward to that and it's at the town hall in West Hartford so very cool that should be fun it, yeah that's kind of, it's kind of a cool older building I'd love to so, go I just yeah. I can't swing it but I did mm. and I, I haven't read a novel or any uh, book by her but I did subscribe to Newsweek 
back mm-hmm. in the 90s, and I read all of her editorials. Yeah, she was like the every other week editorialist, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. And she used to have, I want to say, an, an editorial in a newspaper years ago, yeah. which I can't remember what it was you called. You know what, I but... think she was in time as well, if I'm not okay. mistaken. I'm not really... Okay. Sure. Yeah, I mean her essays were all over yeah, the place. Yeah, yeah, she's she's quite a brilliant mm-hmm. woman. So I'm very much looking forward to it. And you know what, Chris, I didn't cancel your slot there because I'm I'm just on a wing and a prayer hoping you can still make it. So <laughs> thanks for keeping my slot open. <laughs> You're welcome. It's my pleasure. It's my cougar job. <laughs> Dare to dream. All right, what you got coming up in upcoming reads? Upcoming, well, you know, I've been playing around with my stack of possibilities, as I'm calling it for a readathon. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. So the readathon that's coming up on the 21st Saturday. Right, the um, Dewey's 24 yeah. hour. Right. So I'm yeah. playing with that. I'm going to be reading for sure. Um, oh gosh, what was it? I can't. Well, I didn't write it down. Um, the Powers of Darkness, the forgotten version of Dracula that oh. came out of Iceland. I've been Ooh. kind of saving it for that, so Fun. I'll be reading that. And then also probably The Pink Marine, One Boy's Journey Through Boot Camp to Manhood, Ooh. which is a... I didn't write the author's name down. I'm so sorry about that. But he is a guy who went through boot camp, and he's gay, and it's about his experience with that. Wow. Yeah. I love the um, the title. What a great yeah, title. Yeah, and the, the, the cover is really cool. Uh, we'll have to put the cover on the page because it's like a row of, you know, those little plastic army men, mm-hmm. a row of green ones with one little pink one uh-huh. in there. So, And the yeah. author on that is Greg Cope yes. White. Yes. Thank you for looking that up. Sure. I'm, yeah. I, we're, I follow him on Twitter and stuff, so I can't believe I didn't remember oh, his name. Okay. Sorry, Greg. I can't do names anymore. I, if his name was 123, I could remember <laughs> it. <laughs> so yeah. I have a question for you with the um, Dewey's 24-hour readathon. Yes. Do you stay home, or do you take yourself somewhere? You know, traditionally, I think I've stayed home. Okay. Yeah, right. I've stayed home. I think I've stayed in my pajamas. Perfect. And I have snacks and food and all that jazz. And I don't read, I'm not a fast reader, so I doubt I'll, who knows, could I read two books in one day? I don't know. And I don't know how long I'll read. Mm -hmm. I'll aim for at least 12. Yeah. But that one time when I stayed up until three, and then I got back up at like seven to squeeze in another hour of reading, it really killed me the next day. (laughs) Like You paid the price. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't read for another week. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when I was younger, I could, you know, I could go two nights without sleep, you know, and survive. But nowadays. Yeah. No, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't just get one good night's sleep and be caught up either. No. It it takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, we'll see how much I do read. But I'm going to be hosting a Twitter party. The Dewey handle on Twitter will be run by me from a certain hour. I'm not sure what the time is yet. It might be 10 a.m. on that Friday um, where they have a volunteer do what they call a Twitter party. Oh, how fun. Just helping to get people revved up and excited and talk about strategies for reading a lot and whatever people want to talk about so i think but they do stuff everywhere goodreads facebook twitter to get people interested and enthusiastic and on instagram and other places they've been doing a hashtag 30 days oh gosh i can't remember the hashtag now my brain is so not with me today anyway if you hashtag readathon you'll also see the hashtag 30 days of dewey or something to that effect oh great and they have this 
the software that they're using to pull any hashtags that are using that hashtag onto a website so you could see everybody's tags or oh. everybody's images that they've put up with those hashtags, which is really fun. Yeah. It's, I love, one of the things I've loved about the readathon, and, and years ago they used to have cheerleaders. So you could be signed up to be a cheerleader. Oh, And fun. you would be on a certain cheerleading team. So, and you would have people that you would cheer for, whether you're going to their blog to see how they're doing and give them, you know, rah-rahs right. or Twitter or whatever. They don't do that anymore because it's just gotten too big. Oh. But there was one year when I just signed up to be a cheerleader, and that's what I did. And I read some here and there, too. But That's so fun. Yeah. So it is fun. But All I got to say is hashtag, I don't understand hashtags. <laughs> <laughs> Chris has explained them to me 50 times, and I'm still hashtag, 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 I don't get hashtag, but whatever. You, you know what? I'm glad people we'll, do. We'll get you up to speed. We'll, we'll find Good a luck, way. Chris. Good luck. <laughs> well, I have only one upcoming read that I that's on my radar, which is Bluebird, Bluebird, a novel by Attica Locke. And this is another book expo. I've been trying to knock away at that pile of book expo books I have. And for those of you who recognize maybe her name, she's one of the writers and producers of the TV show Empire, which is very popular. And um, she is a lawyer. Mm. Surprise, surprise. I love lawyers who write. And I have read one of her other novels called Blackwater Rising, which I really enjoyed. I mean, it was a three-star read, a solid three-star read for me. Um, so, Attica Locke. Bluebird, bluebird. Nice. Yeah. All right, I looked up that hashtag because I had to. It's <laughs> hashtag 30 days of readathon, and that's 3-0 days of readathon. So if you're on Instagram, there are a lot of really fun images to look at what everybody's reading and doing and whatnot. And we're going to be, the Cougars are going to be doing a giveaway for the readathon, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have to sign up for that, but yeah, yeah we're going to. So go find us. <laughs> Through a hashtag. Through a hashtag. Good luck. <laughs> I'm going to develop a hashtag just for Emily. <laughs> hashtag. Emily's a hashtag idiot. <laughs> you heard it here first, Well, right. our 30th episode in the bag. In the bag. It's exciting. It really is. Yeah. Next month is going to be our one-year anniversary, too. Oh, that's right. Because we right. started in December. You're right. We're going to have to do something to celebrate. Totally. Let's in, in go the, out for Chinese food. Okay. <laughs> We're going to eat our favorite pastime, <laughs> eating and reading. And again, just a real quickie, Heart is a Lonely Hunter. That's right. our next next one. Carson McCullers. We yes, probably should Carson have said Mc that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the author is Carson, Carson McCullers. Yeah, and she wrote the book when she was like 23. I know. And it's classic. Yep. Oh. Boy, go start, with, start big. All right, everybody. Right. Happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks so much for listening to The Book Cougars with Emily Fine and Chris Wallach. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Book Cougars. Please consider leaving us a review on whatever app you use to listen to us. It can help other listeners find us. Thank you. Oh.